A Man of the Mountain. Written by Ashton McCauley. Narrated by Lee James. Performances by Lee James and Sarah Ruth Thomas. Published by Aberrant Literature. Chapter 12. Hunter. Killer. Jonas stood freezing atop the lookout in disbelief. They're actually going to try and hike through this. He had seen the storm coming and assumed Manson's team would wait for another day, if they attempted at all. The national weather broadcast, much better than the local hack, had come to the conclusion that no person in their right mind should attempt the upper mountain during the storm. But then again, he supposed Rick wasn't exactly in his right mind. <laughs> this is going to be much easier than I thought. The storm afforded two important advantages, stealth and exhaustion of his opponent. In the days following his encounter at the diner, Jonas had been trying to think of the best way to approach his prey without being seen. Every scenario ended with him taking a bullet before getting to Manson and a few more before reaching Ventnor. Ordinarily, he didn't worry much about stealth, most hikers were armed, but panicked in the moment. In all his attacks, a hiker had drawn their gun once, but even then had failed to fire. Manson's team was better trained and likely wouldn't make the same mistake. The storm would provide cover, allowing Jonas to get close without being seen. The storm would also exhaust Manson's crew. They were inexperienced in this climate and the hike to the falls was no Sunday stroll, even in fair weather. By the time they made it to Jonas's chosen battlefield, they would be dead on their feet. The powder below the falls was deep and would slow their movement. He, on the other hand, had more than enough experience running in inclement weather. In short, he had home field advantage. Jonas checked his watch. It was just past seven in the morning and the crew had barely made it out of the lower trails. At their current pace, they would make the falls by dark but that was assuming they followed the samples he had left. The snow was going to make that difficult. It would take him an hour to get back to the cabin and at least another two to hike out to the trails. Jonas estimated that if he left immediately, he could cut back onto the main path just below the falls and egg the crew on from a safe distance. A few well-placed howls and snap branches would keep them moving in the right direction. He started down the mountain at a quick clip the storm would slow him, and he had every intention of being back on the trail before it got any worse. Once more, he found himself running through battlefield scenarios. There were a million ways his attack on the History Channel crew could go wrong, and very few where it went right. Still, he felt an unbridled confidence about it. There was a reassuring sense within him that today was the day the legend would rise. When he arrived, the cabin was warmed by the still glowing embers from his morning fire. The brown bottle in the kitchen counter had enough left in it for one last drink, but he decided to save it for a victorious return. If he didn't make it back, it wasn't going to be his problem anyway. Despite his confidence, Jonas still felt a hollow fear resonating in his bones. He supposed any good warrior did when they were facing death. Like making a prayer at an altar, Jonas ran his hands across Shirley's articles tacked to his wall one more time. Years of work, all culminating to one moment. In less than 12 hours, it would all be over. 
he would either be dead in the snow or a true legend. Both outcomes filled him with a great swelling sense of pride. He had never feared death. In fact, he welcomed it. After killing Nick and Manson, he wasn't sure what else would be left for him. That was a question for later. Time was short. Jonas took a final look around his cabin that had been his home over the last five years. He regretted none of the moments he had spent there. The new suit hung on a rack next to the door and called to him. It looked like armour built for a warrior, and in a way, it was. He ran a hand lightly across the artificial fur and felt his skin prickle with excitement. This is it, the last suit you'll ever wear. The hide was thick, but somehow felt lighter than the old gear. It fit better too, as if it had been tailor-made. Jonas began with the suit's body, adjusting internal straps to ensure that it fit snugly and didn't prohibit movement. He then buckled into the new snowshoes. There was no leaving them off this time. He had to be authentic the entire way, just in case. Next was the new headpiece, which made a satisfying click as it was attached to a metal ring around the neck of the body. Servo's word in the headpiece and a readout of the suit's integrity popped up on the bottom right corner of his display. Running one last check, Jonas took a deep breath, grabbed the gloves and opened the door to his cabin. Outside, light snow was falling and a bitter chill had entered the air. In the distance, dark clouds advanced. The storm would be on the mountain by nightfall, if not earlier. Not much time left. He slipped the gloves onto his hands and admired the claws in the grey light. It was time. Ascending the mountain took Jonas a little longer than usual. He had a general idea of where Manson's team was, but he needed to be cautious. At the rate they were moving, he would have to hike at a snail's pace for them to pull ahead. Around three in the afternoon, the light began to leave the mountain. The clouds above grew thick, closing in and shrouding the frosted forest in grey. Snow began to fall in earnest, speckling his fur with thick white flakes. Occasionally, Jonas would catch glimpses of Manson's crew in the distance. Whenever he did, he quickly got out of sight and let out his best howl. The first time he did this, even he felt chilled. As it turned out, the suit had been augmented with a microphone in the headpiece that caught Jonas's howl, distorted it, and then magnified. The resulting sound was pure terror in every form as it echoed through the trees. Now that's the real deal, he thought, reflecting on the mediocre howls he had produced before. Once he was a good distance ahead of Manson's crew, Jonas moved closer to the main trail. They had likely heard the howls, but now it was time to give them more direction. In the days leading up to the trek, he had been able to mangle a few cameras and leave some fur samples but he doubted anyone would find the latter. The snow would erase most of his earlier work. Jonas redoubled his efforts, leaving obvious broken branches and slashes in the exact direction he wanted Manson to go. He had planned to search for more of the team's remote gear, but as he was walking, he found something far more noticeable. It seemed the preparation of the History Channel crew had given him a gift. He crouched low in a thicket just off the trail and watched as a few hundred feet ahead, a shivering cameraman hiked up the trail. 
His headlight bobbed and swung back and forth as he looked up to the trees for signs of danger. Must have sent him up to scout. The man was carrying a large camera strapped to his back and held a rifle loosely between gloved hands. Wrong place. Very wrong time. Jonas crept forward, moving out of the thicket and into the fresh snow on the trail. His footsteps were silent. The man alone was moving much faster than Manson's team, and Jonas guessed he had drawn the shorter straw. Manson might be able to miss the branches and fur, but they weren't going to miss this. The cameraman was strictly focused in front of him, no doubt thinking of the danger that lay ahead. Jonas seized the opportunity and broke into a run. There was no time for hesitancy. Jonas lumbered towards him, feeling more beast than man, the suit merely an extension of his body. He flexed his fingers and felt the sharp blades beneath each of them. He was only a hundred feet away before the man noticed anything was wrong. Maybe it was a sixth sense. Maybe Jonas's footsteps had been a touch too loud. But either way, the man turned when Jonas was about 10 feet away. The rifle dropped from his hands and landed with a soft thump in the snow. His eyes were wide with terror and he held his hands up in a reflexive defense posture. The man let out a blood-curdling scream. And Jonas struck. From the visionary minds at Aberrant Literature comes a short fiction collection unlike any other, Aberrant Tales, bursting at the seams with stories of creativity, excitement and wonder. Aberrant Tales takes the very best in modern science fiction, fantasy and horror and weaves them into one thrilling eclectic package. Featuring the works of Ashton McCauley, M.T. Roberts, Daniel Curland and Jason Peters, Aberrant Tales is available today in ebook hardcover and paperback versions, online and everywhere books are sold. Published by Aberrant Literature. Chapter 13. Murder on the Mountain. The cast and crew were continuing their languid pace up the mountain. Shirley watched as one by one their headlamps turned on in the growing darkness, creating crisscrossing cones of light. In that instant, she knew that something was very wrong. The forest had gone quiet, the lights looked hollow, and the world felt charged as if it were waiting for something to happen. The hairs on her arms stood on end. This is too obvious. No creature that's lived for a hundred years is this clumsy. Every mile they travelled up the mountain, signs of the beast appeared more frequently. Tree bark along the trail's edge was slashed, fur hung in clumps from the trees. Something is not right about this. Shirley paid him no attention. Without realising it, her hand had dropped to the pistol at her side. Hey! Hey! Nick snapped his fingers in front of her face. Don't you get it? Stress lines creased the corner of his eyes. It's leaving us breadcrumbs. Animals don't do that. Things that want to be found do. Shirley's fingers moved automatically to unclip the pistol from its holster. She had barely heard Nick's words. Something was still very off. Do you want to get cooked by a witch, Gretel? Her fingers closed around the pistol grip when a scream cut through the otherwise quiet forest. The sound was horrifying. It stopped suddenly. 
leaving a heavy silence in its wake. The crew stopped dead, everyone looking wildly around at the dark forest surrounding them. That's why you stay at the back of the line. He drew his pistol and began moving towards Manson. Shirley followed suit. A panicked murmur spread among the crew as they began to fan out, still looking for the source of the noise. Manson had remained at the front of the line, but his eyes had grown wide with fear. He too was searching the trees for the source of the noise. He clung to an oversized rifle like his life depended on it. It probably did. By how he was holding it, Shirley wondered if he had actually ever used it. Who was it? whispered Nick, sidling up to Manson. Manson stayed silent for a moment. Shirley kept her eyes on the path ahead of them. The scream had come from further up the mountain. She was sure of it. The trail ahead was illuminated by only their headlamps. Snowflakes fell with ghostly quiet. I, I, started Manson, and then he stopped. The reality of the situation had finally dawned on him. Who was it? I sent a scout up to get some establishing shots. He spoke languidly, like a man in a dream. We should turn back, said Nick, making sure to keep his voice low. Whatever is up there is baiting us. Don't be silly. It's a wild animal. He adjusted his headlamp and raised the rifle to the tree line. It's hunting. The performance was quite impressive until he glanced to his right to make sure a camera was still trained on him. One crew member had remained dedicated to the cause and was dutifully filming Manson, holding the camera with shaking hands. Well, you're right about one thing. It's hunting, but it's not a wild animal. He was growing exasperated and the pallid fear was plain to see behind his eyes. We need to turn around and think of a better plan that isn't walking into a trap. While it pained Shirley to be on the same side as Manson, she didn't like the idea of leaving anyone on the mountain to die. We can't just leave them up there. They might be hurt. She knew as well as they did that the person was probably dead. But if there was even a chance. The dead don't feel pain. Whoever it was has it easier than us now. Yes, we're not going to leave a crew member behind. We've never lost anyone on this program and I don't plan on starting tonight. Nick threw his hands up in frustration. You've already lost them, Rick. He pointed a finger up the dark trail. The only thing waiting for us up there is a trap and a corpse. And I, for one, don't have a high motivation to find either of them. If you're too scared, feel free to turn around. We never had need of your services to begin with. A malevolent grin spread across Manson's face. Although, I imagine it would be hard for a respectable monster hunter to find work after they were proved a coward on national television. Son of a bitch! Nick stomped away, running a hand through his hair. Come on! Time is of the essence! We need to save! He trailed off and looked to a production assistant that had returned to his side. The assistant was still clearly stunned, but managed to mouth, Bob. We need to save Bob! With that, Manson's fear evaporated, giving way to the one emotion that was stronger. Pride. He continued his mad march up the mountain. Shirley, unsure of what to do, walked over to where Nick was fuming. Arsehole. If we turn around now, then we're two prey alone on this mountain. Unless it's after Manson specifically, we'd be the easier target. His pistol was gripped firmly in his right hand, 
his finger held sideways against the safety, ready to move at the slightest hint of danger. He played us, Shirley. Weren't you saying earlier that it wasn't a Sasquatch anyway? It seemed that mending Nick's damaged psyche was a more pressing need than the likely murdered cameraman further up. Yeah, what's that got to do with it? Shouldn't it be less dangerous? Nick's eyes widened with incredulity. (laughs) Absolutely not. Sasquatches are predictable. Humans, on the other hand, especially the bloodthirsty kind, are irrational, impulsive, and among the most dangerous creatures on the planet. Mark my words, when we get to the top of this damn mountain, someone is going to die, and they're going to die quick. You might want to pull out a notepad, because the local eye is going to be running a special on obituaries. With that, Nick pushed a few interns out of the way and rejoined the line, this time in the middle. Shirley hurried after him. It didn't take them long to reach the source of the attack and realise that, as Nick had said, it was far too late. They found the cameraman kneeling in the centre of the path in a deep puddle of his own blood. Steam rose in lazy tendrils from the body. Frost coated his lips and the life had long since left his eyes. You want to check for a pulse? Asked Nick, stepping out of the line. I think you might still be able to save him. A man has died here, Nick. Gagged Manson, turning away from the site. You three. He pointed at the interns. Wrap him up and get him down the mountain. The interns stepped forward silently and went to work. Shirley guessed that they were willing to do anything if it got them off the mountain. She had a half mind to join them, but seeing the attack brought it all back. Not again. Crime scene photos flashed before her once more, and it was as if she was right there again. She could see her partner's face, eyes wide with terror, mouth open in a silent scream. The cold green room with the metal tables swam before her eyes. Just then, a howl cut through her thoughts like a knife. It was deep, low, and mournful. Even Nick took a break from berating Manson for poor leadership to listen. With amazing speed, he pulled the tape recorder from his pocket and caught the last few seconds of it. Then he walked around, holding the recorder out to the forest, waiting for it to happen again. What was that? That's the monster you came up here to destroy. A Man of the Mountain, written by Ashton McCauley, narrated by Lee James, and featuring performances by Lee James and Sarah Ruth Thomas. Published by Aberrant Literature. Music and sound effects licensed under Creative Commons. Morgana Rides, Bump in the Night, Night of Chaos, Day of Chaos. Kevin MacLeod, in Compitech.com. For a detailed listing of the music and sound effects used and their associated links, refer to the episode's description. From the imagination of acclaimed author Ashton McCauley comes the next great anti-hero in American fiction. His name is Nick Ventner, alcoholic by trade and monster hunter by profession. When Nick gets hired by a wealthy benefactor to find the lost gates of Shangri-La, It's up to him and his crotchety companion, James, to deliver the goods. The two soon find themselves on the adventure of a lifetime. And in addition to being chased by Nick's longtime rival, Manchester, 
they soon find themselves being hunted by a mythical and elusive yeti that has been terrorizing the Himalayas. Featuring non-stop action and an acerbic wit, Whiteout by Ashton McCauley is a thriller-minute page-turner you won't be able to put down until it's finished. You can find Whiteout in ebook, hardcover, and paperback versions online and everywhere books are sold. Published by Aberrant Literature.